Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Dale Stewart, Lead Product Strategist and Digital Health Vertical Lead at TAXI, about using technology to reduce position burnout. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Dale Stewart, Lead Product Strategist and Digital Health Vertical Lead at TXI. Welcome to the show, Dale. Thanks, Jay. Great to be here with you. Um, great to have you. And I was wondering, before we uh, start talking about burnout, uh, so if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you do at TXI. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you. Um, you know, I've worked with a primary focus in digital health for about 10 years now. And I started my career uh, 25 years ago as a, as a developer and realized that I wasn't that great uh, at it. I thought that it'd be easier to do people and project management, which uh, that isn't the case either. Um, <laughs> progressed to, you know, large scale program management uh, with a, with a, large consulting organization. And I had the really fortunate opportunity to help lead a digital innovation group, which was a collaboration between a company I work for and a uh, Fortune 100 biopharma uh, company. And, you know, we were, we helped identify high value digital products and services that, you know, aim to accelerate care and quality of life for patients, but also with a strong basis and understanding of the need for uh, clinician input into those to those solutions. So that's really formed a, a lot of the basis of, of how I think about uh, digital health and products now. Um, you know, designing for the patient experience is great, but you need the buy-in from clinicians in order for those those products and services to, to succeed. And since that role, I've uh, been the head of product at a small uh, Toronto consulting firm. We did a lot of work in the health tech uh, startup space and the rare disease space. And now I've been at TXI for the last 12 months or so and responsible, as you, as you mentioned, for building out our digital health vertical uh, at TXI and, again, focusing on uh, everything from startups to small companies to, again, Fortune 50 uh, biopharma organizations. Nice. Excellent. Well, we're, uh, we're going to talk about physician burnout, but I was wondering if you could give us a little context on sort of how the issue has is, is grown over the last several years. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's no secret that uh, burnout is a real thing. You know, you talk to, to any any physician and, and they'll tell you that. And I think we we see those numbers um, and projections. You know, um, Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld, the president of the American Medical Association, I heard him speak at, at Health in Las Vegas last month and somewhere around 130,000 uh, physician shortage uh, by 20, 2030, I think is the number that that he was talking about. Um, you know, pre-COVID, I think we were seeing warning signs that physicians are struggling yeah. to manage increased administrative burden and requirements. Um, trying to balance that with the time that they need to deliver uh, great, great care with, seems to have been an issue uh, that's just been exacerbated during COVID. Uh, it's definitely getting worse. Um, you know, I, I, lo I look at different, different reasons maybe for that. And some of the clinicians I talked to, they're you know, very eager to move into the, the health tech world and start companies themselves or be part of uh, companies that are finding innovative solutions for patient care. But just, you know, that means that there's less physicians that are doing the actual, uh, the actual work. So um, that, that's sort of an interesting, um, interesting thing that's happening. I think also just the actual mental and physical toll uh, the job has, especially after COVID. And I don't think we should you know, minimize at all the emotional toll that it takes uh, to share life-changing news with patients and then expect those same people to go and, you know, do paperwork for four hours on 
uh, on and three different sets of paperwork and four different systems. And, um, you know, I think that that, that does have a, a pretty massive toll. So, uh, you know, I think burnout is real. Uh, I think we're more aware of it now. And I think we're more appreciative of how detrimental, you know, additive things like the administrative burden is and, and irrational reliance on, on, on technology, maybe being a, being a solve for it. Um, you know, it just isn't, isn't the case. Um, how can, uh, how can, or I guess what needs to happen with the, the physician workflow to kind of ease that burden that you're talking about? Yeah, I think the, you know, the ideas to focus on, I think, are all of the ones that has been, have been touted in the past as being like, this is the fix. You know, there's been so many things I've said, this is the fix mm -hmm. to making, uh, a more seamless, uh, experience for how technology can can help um but i don't think any of them have been looked at or implemented from the perspective of doctors you know it's a very payer driven system i think we look at solutions especially in the technology side and healthcare as uh how is this going to get funded let's make sure that we we build it in a way that will get funded not built in a way that um that will actually benefit physicians so i think no, there's a couple of areas. I think digital in, digital integration as a broad topic, and I'll give a couple of examples, is is one way that we we can focus on this. Remote patient monitoring and telemedicine, I think, is another one, and and just better data access. So if you look at digital integration, um, EHRs, there's we're seen as this amazing centralized, like all the information you need is here. Um, but you know, the physicians that I talk to when they are using those systems, you know, I had a physician, physician tell me a couple of weeks ago, um, I'd, I'd rather queue at, uh, at the DMV for four hours than, uh, crawl <laughs> through the EMR, you know, trying to find, uh, information. Um, again, an anecdote from, um, Dr. Ehrenfeld, president of the AMA was telling this amazing story about how, uh, he's an anesthetist and, and talking to a patient ahead of time, a check-in before surgery and. They were like, oh, I don't want that thing that happened to me last time to happen again. And he was like, what do you mean? She said, oh, I had a cardiac arrest and um, almost didn't make it. And so he's looking through the system and he's like, there's, where do I find this information? And it's just buried in a nurse's note uh, and another note somewhere. And it took him like 20 minutes to, to, to find that. So just um, making these systems uh, more accessible and from the, from the, the context of the user being in the physician in this case. I think, you know, remote patient monitoring telemedicine, it's you know, the impact of providing care where it's needed. Um, I don't think we should discount that. And uh, these technologies that are fundamentally providing greater access and ability for physicians to engage their patients, but those systems are not, you know, they were put in in a rush during COVID because that was the only way people could get seen. But um, I think we can sort of forgive that at the time, those those systems were needed, but what isn't triggerable is that they're not being looked at now in terms of well, how do we how do we make them work better? And again, just asking people to log into three or four different systems um, is uh, you know that that's something that needs to get get addressed. And then interoperability, uh, data access, it you know it doesn't seem to be real yet, even though there are standards and there's laws et cetera that are that are requiring it, but 
Um, I, again, you talk to most physicians, and I, I think that they'll tell you that the beneficiaries of interoperability and access to the right data at the right time is, is not there for them. It's there for the healthcare systems doing research. It's there for revenue cycle management. It's there for companies building large data sets, but it's not at the actual point of care uh, that that value is and benefit is, is being seen. So I think when we look at workflow, those are some key areas I think that need to be need to be addressed and will have maximum uh, impact. And just going back to a point that I made earlier about um, context, it's like prioritize the context over the fancy, you know, key trends that we've seen and keep getting told are going to be the fix of such as telehealth or wearables or blockchain mm-hmm. or mobile or fire standards and all of those things. They've all been touted as a savior, but for each of them, it's like, where does that actually show up with value for the, for the physician? Um, and obviously, you know, you mentioned there's, there's been some, you know, technological solutions offered, um, you know, what's sort of the, the best way for technology to help reduce burnout? I think, again, really centering in on technology in and of itself isn't the solution, right? Um, it's how it, how it gets used, how it gets implemented and understanding what the pain points are that can be solved and what the gains are that, that you can, you can provide. And mentioned earlier, you know, this rise in administrative tasks that physicians are expected to, uh, to spend hours of their day, uh, doing, and, and that's playing that significant part in the burnout. So, so maybe, maybe let's address those administrative tasks. Um, context is a central part in those solutions. And so I think designing scalable, efficacious, clinically safe products and solutions like patient care via technology in terms of new innovative solutions like it's a pretty wicked problem to solve like there's a lot of moving parts just changing this one thing here doesn't necessarily fix something over there um so i don't think we should stop looking at those really ambitious solutions um but let's 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 not just focus on it you know what is achievable now i think is an ability to remove the burden of tasks so we can start to automate that more. You know, if it's data entry, if it's appointment scheduling, prescription refills, simplification, automation of prior authorizations, like there's just, there's so many of these administrative things that there are proven solutions for already. Um, But I think, you know, systems, health systems see physicians a lot of times as sunk costs and they don't invest in some of those external um, solutions that, that will simplify these repetitive automated tasks. And I think that needs to change. Um, you know, invest in optimizing data input and extraction of information in the EMR, for example. Um, one of the, the key changes that I think that we're going to see as well is that today's generation of physicians, they're not afraid of saying that they look something up. And I think in the past, maybe this, this you know, we, we don't, we don't want technology to tell us what to do because we are the experts. You know, we went to school mm-hmm. for this. We we practiced for so many years. I think that's changing, and I think that that's going to accelerate um, the the change that that is coming. And obviously, there's a systemic change that needs to happen to to you know obviously change that, that workflow and and the the amount of um, 
you know, what needs to happen to, to sort of affect that change? Because obviously it can't just happen. It can't just be one system. It's got to be, you know, all of them. <laughs> so how does that, how does that even, uh, you know, how do we start to get that to happen? Yeah. Uh, it, it's a great question. I think it's, you know, again, it's um, pushing water uphill in, in many ways, you know, um, <laughs> it's hospital CIOs and CFOs are uh, demanding in, you know, ROI at, at a, at a much higher level and much quicker than they typically have in the past. So trying to say that we need to change multiple things uh, in, in order for this one thing to be uh, to, to be useful is is a challenge. But, you know, I think look at the systems that are in play today and resolve some of the efficiencies uh, of those systems. And I'm a, a big proponent of and I say to our clients uh, often again, we we work with um, Fortune 100 organizations, we work with uh, small, medium-sized organizations that are trying to get into some of these large health systems. And and what I'm saying to, to these people I'm talking to them is, you probably are leaving 30% efficiency on the table by not optimizing current capabilities. Um, so you're, you're likely not going to change your EHR because it doesn't work for you um, or you're not happy with how it performs. But invest some of the money that you're going to be spending across these systems and optimizing what they are doing now and optimize for your key user, which is going to be your, your physician. And are you looking at how you can fix those pain points? So when we talk about removing some of the administrative burden uh, for solutions that, that people think they need to buy new for, it's like look at what you've got already and optimize those. And I think by optimizing the systems that are already in place, you're going to get better return. You're going to be solving a lot of the systemic inefficiencies that are in those systems. So as you start to make more investment decisions in the future for some of these massively uh, complex new technological solutions, your underlying systems are going to be more fit for purpose to support those. And you'll definitely start to see a higher value in the future, but there needs to be some acknowledgement of spend uh, now to fix some of these systems, because it's just what we're seeing over and over again is just throwing, throwing good money after bad. And that's a, that's a cycle. It just needs to be broken. Are you seeing health systems starting to move in that direction and they starting to consider, you know, sort of, you know, what, what it's going to take to actually, you know, move the ball uh, more than it's being done now? I think so. I think people, um, and again, I think COVID has played a part in this in some way, you know, like there was a lot of money thrown into systems during COVID and um, whether it was through grants or loans that didn't need to get repaid or just the very fact that more people were sick. And so there were more people in the hospital and there was, there was more revenue, you know, coming in. But I think that, you know, especially in the last year, you know, attending, you know, lots of the key conferences uh, where these topics get, get talked about, the recurring theme over and over again was um, we need to find ways to, to maximize the return on our investment. For too long now, we've put systems in play that we've assumed would solve problems, and they're not at the rate that we need. And this is just not 
sustainable. So I think that we are starting to see large systems and large players in these systems start to demand more and, and hold more accountability for uh, the promises that are being made. Uh, and you also mentioned, you know, interoperability and, you know, uh, there's a long way to go with that. Um, how will, you know, the, the kind of technology you're talking about work with other platforms or systems? Um, I think right now there's still a reliance on my, my implementation of this is the right one. And as we start to see more uh, implementation and the fire standards that, um, that, that, that have come out and that are now, you know, the sort of de facto in the standard, I think more organizations paying attention to where their data is and how that they are using it um, is, is really going to start to drive, um, drive that and is going to start to drive some accountability and standards systems and I, I imagine that you know part of that will be you know organizations doing this and kind of you know sort of serving as test cases for other organizations to say oh wow this actually works we should be doing that too exactly and i think that uh what it takes is um you know this is a world that is very much driven by um driven by citations and, and examples, right? Um, studies that are getting released. And, um, you know, I, I think that um, the, the two sides of it that are going to drive it are improved care outcomes that are demonstrable. And you're able to tie that back to uh, greater access, better access to data, greater usage of that data, um, simplification of that data. Those papers are going to get written and there is going to be some evidence to, to show that. And I think people then start to, to, to buy into it a little bit more, or they see that there's a, they see that there's a, uh, something that they can follow there. I think the other side of it that accelerates change is financial. And again, being able to demonstrably show financial upside whether it's return on investment in in systems or whether it's payers uh, generating more revenue or saving more saving more money because of um, because of the standardization of, of data and the simplification of it and being able to move that data around from system to system and um, that's a massive incentive in the system too. Value based care, I think, is really going to start to drive. A lot of that as organizations are very much incentivized to um, look at the the whole of the solution rather than fixing little things one piece at a time they're incentivized to 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 really take a strong view of the data for a patient and for a collection of patients in an organization um, and and build solutions around that uh, obviously there's a, a lot that needs to happen how long do you think it's going to take for this to sort of start, you know, happening on a significant level, you know, do you, I mean, obviously, you know, you're not Nostradamus, but uh, I imagine you must have sort of a, a ballpark figure that you're thinking that, you know, 
this will start to actually take place on a on a widespread basis. Yeah, I think in ranges, um, and I think the ranges are when I talk to people, it's like now, uh, one to three years is now. Mm. And I think we've got a three to five, and I think we've got a five to ten. And I think the the now is more care we're moving to remote and digital like that started to happen we're getting the beginnings of ai diagnostics uh you know a lot of a lot of paper uh papers being written and uh talks about uh you know diagnoses uh of of tumors that happens at a much higher percentage than than manually um so i think that's there now i think in three to five years a lot of this technology is going to enable personalized medicine, more personalized medicine. Again, that better picture of the of the person and the better picture of cohorts of, of people. So it's going to be driving more of that personalized view. And I think in and of itself, because the information is going to be sort of bundled uh, to a person, uh, that's going to simplify uh, care for those people. Um, and then I think in in five to ten years, I think this is where we are going to start to see the beginnings of these integrated as a platform, uh, sorry, integrated at a scale platforms. These wicked problems that we're looking at right now, I think in five to ten years, that's when we're going to start to see those steps towards solving it. I think there's a lot of stuff that still needs to happen. You know, the ethical implications of a lot of the uh, AI solutions and ideas that are out there. We're only starting to talk about them them now. So all of that needs to be addressed and thought through at scale um, before those large changes start to happen uh, in the systems. But those are the ranges I talk about with with our clients in terms of are you looking to are you looking to make a change in the short term now, uh, or are you looking to make changes in three to five or five to ten years and Five to ten years. I mean, large language models. ChatGPT was, was not a thing that anyone heard of fifteen months ago, and right. yeah. um, everyone's using it uh, now. And it's just like the pace of change that's going there. I, I don't think that we shouldn't expect that something else disruptive is going to happen at a much faster level uh, than change has happened before. So, you know, the five to ten is maybe like, you know, it. The, five, the things that we think are going to be there in five to ten, uh, there's there's new things that we don't even know about right now that are going to be there in five to ten. So, um, a lot of times we talk with clients, it's it's are you thinking about now, a year from now, or are you thinking three years from now? Because beyond that, I just don't know if we understand what that might look like. Yeah, I mean, if you think about even twenty years ago, what you know what things were like. I mean, technology wise, I mean, we're we've gone so far beyond that. You know, and we probably, you know, I think it was imagined, maybe not the chat GPT part, but, you know, just the fact that, you know, phones 20 years ago were, you know, flip phones and, you know, barely, you know, you could barely make a call on them and now you can do everything on them. So uh, it's, yeah, I, 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 five years from now, who knows what we're going to be seeing. Yeah, it's... um it's it's inspiring but it's also a little nerve-wracking i know i know i've hit that age in my life where uh i'm starting to think that i i don't grasp it um i, I don't understand what's coming next you know 
for, for me, this, this is the point I've hit where when I was a kid and I'd look at my parents and say, you really don't get technology, do you? I'm, I'm now that, that person that doesn't <laughs> get what the next technology is going to be. But um, I have no doubt that it's going to have a massive impact in my life for the, for, for the positive. I just don't know if I'm going to understand it. Yeah, I think that's kind of like, you know, we just have to hold on and, uh, and uh, I guess I won't enjoy the ride, but at least like manage the ride. So it, you know, works in the right way. Cause you know, like you said, with, with AI, you know, there's definitely things, you know, when, when it comes to health information that you've got to control. Right. So uh, you can't just sort of uh, welcome everything in it. There's gotta be some standards and, and, uh, and controls put in place. Right. Definitely. And those, and those, differ and change by people, by region, by cultural norms. Uh, so th these are all some of the things as well that are just really interesting challenges to solve in the in the, the health tech space um, because these these solutions uh, need to be scalable, right? And and we're looking at people's health and we want to build solutions that are beneficial for the majority of the population. So there's some of those things that you just mentioned are definite, definite, definite challenges that need to get looked at and solved before some of these things can really operate at scale. Um, but it's exciting to see see the progress that's being made. And I guess you know, should you know, in that five to ten range, should things go the way we hope they're going to go, what's the physician's workload going to look like? I, I mean, I think we really are at that tipping point where people understand that something needs to change. So the, just the accepting or, or expecting acceptance of the status quo is just not, it's not realistic. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, I, I, we need, we need the burden to come down in order for uh, physicians to still want to practice and in order for them to make good care decisions for patients. Ultimately, you know, that, that is the goal, I think. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time talking with clinicians um, in my job and building digital products and services. And, you know, a project I worked on last year, interviewing uh, surgeons, um, orthopedic surgeons and maxillofacial cranial surgeons, and just talking to them about things. And I was amazed. Like, I'm in the industry from a adjacent standpoint. You know, I work to support I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a physician. I sort of get that there's a burden there. I hear people talk about it, hearing it quantified and I'm following people around for a day and seeing what that actually looks like was eye opening for me. Yeah. And I sort of already got it. I don't know if the average person understands um, how much of a burden is placed on physicians that isn't related to the, to the actual care. I don't think and they do at all. No. And so I think maybe something that needs to happen is more awareness around around that and pressure on why you know, you're tasked with my health. Why are the systems around you not letting you do that? Um, just seeing physicians having to respond to all of the requests of time that went into validating something from a billing standpoint and eating into the time that they could be actually with patients. It was like eye-opening is like the politest way that I can say it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if the average person knew it, that they would demand change. So I think maybe there's 
room there for that message to get out. And I think as that message starts to get out and as organizations start to think about optimizing the existing solutions that they have and making them better and seeing the challenges that are there and they're real, five different login screens to accomplish one care visit is just not acceptable. So let's remove those barriers. And then again, let's new solutions that are being developed. Let's put physicians at as much of the center of it as the patients, like those need to go hand in hand. I think if we do that, those three things, more, more advocacy and pressure of like, this is not acceptable, optimizing existing systems to solve some of the burdens that are already there and making sure that we design for the, the physician experience as well and new products and services coming out. I think that's going to be the, the key to reducing the, the burden going forward with like all of this great new technology that's out there, but the technology doesn't, doesn't change the patterns that are already there. We need to change the patterns that are there. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's hope it happens. Uh, Dale, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Thanks for having me, Jay. I appreciate uh, the work you do in this and the advocacy you have. So I'm really excited to spend, spend some time chatting with you today. All right. Thanks. That wraps up episode 98 of PSQH, the podcast. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again and stay safe.